0: All right, what is happening, Mountain Family? I'm pumped to be together today, whichever campus you're joining from. A big welcome to you. I'm sure by now you've heard about the elephant in the room, okay? But if you haven't, maybe one more time, I want you to hear this. It's important stuff. Listen up
1: and let's check out this video. My name is Matt, this is my wife Jessie.
2: What started us on our financial peace journey was in spring of 2017, we had had our second son, which was a really exciting time for our family. We had been prayed for him for a long time. Following his birth, we found out we owed back taxes. Matt was in a car accident, he totaled his car. Our basement flooded, we owed about $280,000. Yeah.
1: I know that both of our commutes were filled with those kind of like dark thoughts and you it know, was
2: consuming us. It was consuming us. It was credit cards. It was student loans. It was having to get a new car. Right. It was
1: daycare. Daycare. And, the mortgage. You know, more diapers. It, oh my gosh! It <laughs> was no just, sleep. And yeah. you know, you know, no one outside of our home have ever thought that we were in that kind of a situation nobody
2: knew i was never comfortable talking about money but i said to matt i'm going to talk to my friends at church about this i'm going to ask for prayer i spoke to a friend of mine and not a week later my team leader called me and said jesse can you meet me at at church i want to talk to you about something so i said sure so he met with me at church and he said we want to gift you the registration to financial peace (laughs) and it changed our lives it did, it changed our lives.
1: It went from like two people trying to steer a ship at opposite ends of the ship, to being in the same position and knowing where the ship's going.
2: Yes. We're on the same plan, we do the exact same thing, and we are a team in, that dis- in every single decision.
1: Yeah, the frictions
2: and roadblocks oh have been like stripped away. So we've been in it about two and a half years. We've paid off $130,000. It's around there. I think the first couple
1: budgets we did, like there might've been tears because it yeah. was almost like We've been wasting this much for so many years, you know? We can give so much, mo- so much more now, and we do, and it's it's great. It kind of strips away that taboo yes. of talking about finances, right? You know, what you're experiencing is normal for most of us. Anyway. And I
2: think the enemy really wants us to be ashamed of it, and he wants us to say, don't tell anybody about it, but you can't. You can't sit there and push it off to the side. The elephant is in the room, and you, got, you, you, you gotta get it out. You have to, you have to work at it and I think I no longer have that shame I don't because God took our rock bottom our rock bottom and he turned it into a victory and isn't that just like him isn't it just like him to, t- to say I'm gonna take this and turn it into a victory and the enemy has no power over that anymore because it's we're free
0: I I love their story, right? There's this Abingdon campus family that, that somebody gifted this to and it changed their life. Let me tell you, it was gifted to them. It's a gift to all of us right now too. FPU is free of charge. Anyone can participate. Don't miss the opportunity to sign up, get in a group, and see how God is going to use that to transform you. It's more than just about saving money. It's about changing habits, spending habits, finding ways to to leverage your giving, to leverage your finances, to leverage every aspect of your life to really honor God. And it just so happens that we're in a series right now all about habits called Force of Habit. We're not talking about spending habits, but a whole bunch of other stuff that we feel like are habits that if we're not in tune with how they're ruling over our lives, they can bring out the worst in us. They don't align us with God's best. Ben reminded us of this last week. This is a quote from Aristotle. Okay, he started with this. I think it's worth repeating. We are what we repeatedly do. We all have habits. There's no doubt about it. We have routines, we have ideas, We have a posture, we have a schedule, all these different aspects of our life, they reinforce habits and they help us to form new ones. Those habits, they make us who we are. And I know early in COVID for me, like I started to put into place some new good habits. Uh, Like a friend of mine, Gene, he gave me a weight bench and some weights and it happened to be my commute from the office, which was in my basement, to my weight room, which is also in my basement, was two seconds, right? So I started to exercise more and I felt better but I also started a few bad habits. Maybe this was just me, okay? But, but bear with me here. Did anyone else feel like every time you went into the grocery store early on in the COVID era, that there was just like 10 times the amount of Oreos that you were used to? I mean, every end cap was just stacked with Oreos. And when I see Oreos and I'm stuck at home all day, I mean, what are you going to do, right? You pick up a pack of mint Oreos, normal Oreos, double stuff, quadruple stuff. Oreos were everywhere. If you saw stock prices and Oreos go up, that's on me, all right? Anybody else, you feel me? Oreos everywhere. That was a bad habit. And for each of us, for all of us, there are times in our lives where we realize there are bad habits. Ben, he threw me under the toilet seat last week. Okay, maybe you heard. He mentioned the fact that I'd left the toilet seat up at his house and he let everybody know. And I got to tell you, like just... I'm vulnerable, I'm humble, okay? Like, I, I want to be honest and transparent. It's true, 15 years into my marriage, I still haven't quite figured out. Sarah, I love you, I'm sorry. We all have weird and quirky habits, kind of like Ben, actually, okay? Uh, ben, not many people know this, he's got this habit. It's really odd, really bizarre, kind of bad. Uh, for like the past few decades, every time he cuts his toenails, uh, he keeps them. Yeah, he puts them in this, this old bin, this, this like old film canister, he just, I don't know if it has to be a matching set or if it's just one or not, but I've heard, I've not seen it, but the rumor around town is that Ben's got some weird habits too, okay? We all do. We all need help overcoming our little quirks and our little habits. Now sure, there's like the silly and annoying habits. Like my son, he loves to pick his toenails. He doesn't keep them, okay? But if I'm sitting on the couch next to him, he's like picking a. And, and you hear it and it just kind of grosses you out are the silly and annoying. There's the good habits, like exercise and reading and studying the Bible and brushing your teeth. Those are good habits. And there's the bad habits, the ones that bring out the worst in us, the ones that unravel our joy, damage relationships, and block us from God. And maybe you're already starting to think in your own mind what some of those are in your life. You're like, yeah, I've got some of those habits, and I wish I could overcome them. Well, we think we can overcome them, confront them, and change those habits that are keeping us from living out God's best in this world. And maybe even down this road before. You're like, yeah, I got some stuff going on. I'm trying to overcome it, and I just can't seem to figure it out. And I try, and I try, and I try, and I keep coming up short time and time again, and you just get so frustrated. In some way, you start to feel spiritually unworthy. Well, in this series, we're going to come to find out some routines and habits in our life that can help us to overcome those not-so-good habits. Habits that are pulling us away from God. Not just by breaking the old way, not just by stop doing what we used to do, but by beginning new routines and new habits. like Paul tries to describe in Romans where he says, it's not about just not sinning. Like, don't sin, that's not good. But it's not just about not sinning. It's about pursuit. It's about pursuing righteousness and holiness in your life. By pursuing those things, naturally you're going to stop to do those old things. It's about pursuing better alternatives and doing things that actually honor God. And through that, we kind of snuff out the things that don't honor God. It's about an inward change that makes its way outward. Jesus describes it this way. In Luke chapter 6, he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And it continues, and it says this, And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And hear this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The overflow of the heart is the mouth and the actions of your life. And so if we're going to say, hey, let's start to form some new habits deep within us, it's going to start with a transformation of our heart, of surrender to Jesus. The overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. The habits are formed from the inside out. We're talking about some really big and important ones here. Okay, I want to give you the list of everything we're talking about through this series. It looks like this. Okay, we're talking about pride, lust, lying, anger, unhealthy escapes, worry, complaining, cynicism. And I, I got to tell you, as I look at this list, I'm like, "Yes, yeah, me. Yep, yeah, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. That one's really me. That's me. Like, I feel that. I know there's some stuff here that I need to be working on. I can feel that. And so, before we hop into what we're going to talk about today, I want to give you two pieces of advice, okay? One, make sure you join us and make sure you spread the word about when our friend Brian Head Welch is coming in just a couple of weeks, okay? Brian is a guitarist for the band Corn. Now, I am an early 2000s kid. I grew up listening to Corn, okay? Don't tell my mom. I grew up listening to Corn. And so, this, this guy's story is incredible. He's someone who was so far from God, had all these bad habits. God took a hold of his life, and it transformed him from the inside out. And he's going to come, and he's going to share his testimony. You know somebody that needs to hear it. So invite them to be with you, whether it's online or in person. Invite them to participate fully and experience that message, because it might be encouraging to them. And the second thing I want to encourage you, I want you to join a text thread with me, okay? This isn't just a thing that we're going to do together on the weekends, but rather we're going to create space in our lives every single day for the Lord to work. And so you can text the word habit to 877-622-1824. It's simple. And when you do that, we're going to commit to just sending you a few texts every single week. Not every day. We're not going to blow you up like crazy. We're going to pass along some encouragement, some scripture, some habits that you can start to form to help you on this path to overcoming habits that we know don't bring out God's best in us. So make sure you sign up for that, okay? And today we're going to talk about two very big, very real, very present habits in the world today. We're going to talk about how we overcome anger and cynicism. And these are huge. I mean, we feel it. We seal it. We see it. We, it's everywhere around us. But it starts with honesty. It starts with us being vulnerable and humble enough to say, you know what, Ben talked about pride last week. First thing I need to do is come to terms with my humility and overcome my pride and say that's something I struggle with. So I got a question. You don't have to raise your hand, but I got a question for you. Do you struggle with anger or cynicism? Like, really, do you? Maybe somebody's elbowing you right now, like, yeah, you do. I know when I told my wife I was preaching on anger, you know what she did? She laughed at me. Like, that's rude, That's rude, okay, because she knows, like, that's something I struggle with, and I think we're in good company here, because all of us, in one way or another, we struggle with anger and cynicism. Now, it doesn't always express itself big and loud and spew over. No, there's extroverted anger. There's the people that when you get cut off, you freak out, you raise your hands, you speed up, you tailgate them. Roundabouts, friends, can we talk about roundabouts for a second? I, I... just bear with me, okay? I'm not going to get mad here. But roundabouts are the greatest invention in all of history. Unless you don't know how to use them, then they make me really mad, okay? But there's, that's the extroverted anger. But the introverted anger, well, that's the person who, who the anger makes them feel distant, disconnected, cold, unwilling to engage. People around them, they feel the tension, but they don't know exactly what's causing it. You struggle with anger. Turns out I'm pretty good at both extroverted and introverted anger, okay? I see anger on display all the time. I have a wife, three kids, and two dogs. I mean, there's somebody's mad every single day. It's my wife. You know, if she works a really long day, she doesn't get a a chance to eat. The end of the day comes, and if we don't have plans for dinner, she's not just angry. You know what she is. She's hangry, all right? She gets frustrated. She's okay with me telling you that because she knows it. She doesn't get enough sleep. She's easily angered. My son, when we play Rocket League, well, first first thing you got to know, uh, my son is just okay at Rocket League. If you're one of his friends, don't tell him I said this, okay? But he'll, he'll be playing Rocket League on the Xbox. I play with him. It's one of the things we do together. And, you know, the, the other team will score on us, or he might score for the other team. And he just loses his mind. He throws down the controller, and he storms out like crazy. Like, we got anger issues. My, my little Ella girl, my eight-year-old Ella, she's a perfectionist. She's an artist. She'll be drawing, making a picture then, I don't know, maybe she colors outside of the line or she, she oops and messes up. And the tears, she, she introverts it, okay? The tears start pouring and she's so mad and she crumbles it up slowly and she dumps it in the trash and she just walks away. My little two-year-old Miles, he's still perfect, okay? There's still time for him to get jacked up like the rest of us. The dogs, don't get me started on the dogs, I think the anger issue is not the dog's anger, it's my anger towards the dogs. A few weeks ago, sixty dollars worth of steak, not cooked, on the counter, then in my dog's belly. That's a problem, okay? Like like we see and those are some silly examples of anger, but we all know that we see anger all the time, everywhere. We can't help it. We all deal with anger, and we all need help to overcome it. And one of the things I've learned to be true of me and my anger. And what also might be true for you is that my anger also comes from me not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. I have expectations for other people. I have expectations for myself. They're things that I desire. And when anything comes up short, I feel that frustration swell within me. And it's not always something I've done. Maybe it's something that someone has done to me. It's not what I wanted to happen, and I get frustrated. And anger, it's both a, a primary emotion and a secondary emotion. It could be a quick reaction, but it can also be the reaction of something kind of beneath the surface. Maybe you've seen this diagram before, but this, this is called the, 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 the anger iceberg, okay? And at the top of the water, what we see in people, the overflow of their emotion is anger. But it's often deeply rooted in something else, like like shame, or they're scared, or they're hangry, okay, or or grief, or hurt, or disappointment, or loneliness, or helplessness. And all of these things are, are, are things that are happening to us, and they frustrate us. We don't know how to deal with what's going on deep inside of us, all the other emotions. And so it filters to the surface as anger. And I want to stop. I want to offer a quick disclaimer here. This is really important. There is a form of anger that's not necessarily always sin. Think about things like racial injustice, like like the kid being bullied on the playground, like the chaos that the people in Afghanistan are feeling. Or maybe when you remember 9-11, you swell with some anger. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a righteous anger. And if our heart is aligned with the heart of God, we will get angry about the same things that God gets angry about. Jesus got mad. But is always in alignment with God's heart and God's goodness for people. And Jesus always leveraged that anger, the frustration to bring the world to a better place. So we're not going to talk about righteous anger. No, we're going to talk about the anger that's rooted in our sin and what the overflow of anger might look like in our lives. You know, it seems to me like we live in an age of anger. You feel that a little bit? You see it? Everywhere you look, people are mad at each other. It's almost like there's a public epidemic in America called anger. You know, it wasn't that long ago that if somebody had an outburst of anger on a plane, it would be on the front page of the news. But now, it kind of seems like it's commonplace. People are nasty to each other, seeming looking for an opportunity to jump down somebody's throat and get mad at them. We see on social media often is no longer pictures of your food and kids and the fun places that you go, but instead, it's your position And done so shared in a way that's angry at the other side. Too often I see people who are saying, I I don't respect that person anymore. They made me angry. What would they do? They posted something on Facebook. It's not how we deal with it. Anger can bring out the worst in us. And it's rooted in our pride and selfishness. And not getting what we think is right, what we want buried deep down within us. And all of that anger leads to deep cynicism. You start to see the world through, through one lens because your anger has postured you in that way. You know, Kerry Newhoff, he wrote this book. The book is called Didn't See It Coming. And it talks all about how anger and frustration, when we see the world through that filter, when well, we start to see every situation the same way. It's a protection mechanism. We can chalk all of the stuff that's going on in this world up to the issues that those people have. And our anger makes us see them in that way. We close ourselves off to others. We create distance. And he says this. He says, perhaps most disturbingly, cynicism begins to infect your relationship with God. When you close your heart to people, you close your heart to God. When anger grabs a hold of us, we we lose trust. We start to doubt more. We see people and God through the wrong lens. No longer creating space for people to be sinners and to come up short, and to allow God to offer redemption. And the one that's damaged most by my anger, it's me. I start to have a different view of the world. It takes on a different landscape. I change the way I view people and situations. And myself. And simply enough, in our anger, we don't honor God. The overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. The body reacts. And if we are going to humbly submit ourselves to Jesus, well, then that means the overflow of our heart should express the love of Jesus described this way in 1 Corinthians 13. Sometimes you see this verse and you think, oh, this is the wedding verse. No, this is a verse meant for you and me and all of us. And it says this, love is patient and kind. It does not envy, boast, embody pride, dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or easily angered. What does the love of God look like? It looks like this. It says it keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but only rejoices with truth. It protects, trusts, hopes, and it perseveres. When you look at that list, isn't that the stuff that you want within you? Doesn't that feel so much better than anger and frustration and tension? You don't need to be handcuffed by your anger. Because that list that's presented to us in 1 Corinthians, of all the things that love is and does, well, that pushes back against the anger and cynicism deep within us. It helps us to align our heart with the heart of God. And so how do you overcome your anger? It's, it's not just anger management, okay? I'm a big fan of counseling. I've been to counseling. My wife's been to counseling. I'm about to send my dogs to counseling, okay? Like I'm a big fan of counseling. And for some of us, we, we've got some stuff deep within us that is hidden that we need somebody to help like pull back the layers and help us to see what's beneath the water that's bringing out the anger. But counseling without submission to Christ Won't get us all the way there. Counseling's important. Go do it. But at the end of the day, the thing that will really transform us is surrendering our lives, our desires, our hopes, our anxiety, our fear, our frustration, our wants to Jesus. That's what it's about. I recently watched uh, the documentary, Malice in the Palace. I don't know if you've seen this. It's like uh, back in the early 2000s. You've got the, the Pistons and the Pacers. And there's this heated rivalry. And towards the end of the game, Ron Artest, who's kind of a hothead, you find out in, in the documentary, he's actually got a bunch of issues that he's working through in counseling. And things get heated and people are shoving and, and there's frustration and tension. And he does what his counselor told him to do. He goes over and he just lays down on the scorer's table. He takes a 10-second timeout. He's trying to clear his mind. And as you see him laying on the scorers table, you see out of the corner of your eye, the beer cup comes flying in. And I watched this live. It was, it was bonkers. Like, oh, no. Slow motion, this beer cup comes down. It hits Ron Artest right in the face. And he jumps off of that table and takes off running Through the crowd, I mean that shot was incredible. You need to put that guy in the game, okay? He threw it from way over there and hit him right in the face. And Ron Artest hops up and he takes off running and throwing punches up in the stands, and the place erupts and everyone's angry. And all of that anger leads to nobody winning. It was a mess. In that moment, anger won, and when anger wins, we do things we regret. Relationships become broken. Feelings are hurt. People are abandoned. Walls are built. We become cynical. And we silo ourselves off with people who get angry about the same stuff that we get angry about. Nothing good happens when anger wins. We can be angry, we can feel anger, but we can't let it win. When anger wins, everybody loses. You know, all throughout Scripture, this is talked about. I'll just give you one one reference that comes out of the Psalms. It says this, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. You want to look up a couple of verses? There's some across the bottom. Go read them because all of these point to the same thing. It's a resounding gong in Scripture of, hey, Don't give in to your anger because when you do, evil will prevail. The overflow of your anger will not be something that honors God. When we give in to our anger, it's not beneficial. It's not helpful. It's not good for anyone. And it doesn't bring honor to God. Instead of anger winning, we need to push hard to allow the love of God to win. God calls us to this in this life, right? We we say it around here: it's to love God, to love people, and to serve the world. It's not about anger management, but instead, it's allowing God to do some heart work, to figure out what's happening on the inside, to figure out what the thing is behind the thing, and then to release it. To God. It's aligning our lives with the life of Jesus, with the heart of God. What does the heart of God look like? How can we overcome our anger? It's by putting into practices the way of God. And here's what it looks like out of the book of Colossians. Okay, it says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. Like, this is how you overcome it. You put this on. Rather than whatever the world throws at you, your anger, whatever, put this on. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's what we need to clothe ourselves with. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive each other. And if any of you has a grievance against someone else, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity and let the peace of Christ Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Overcoming our anger means pursuing those habits, pursuing those things that allows the peace of Christ to be what comes out of the overflow of our hearts. A couple verses before Paul, he tells us like what we shouldn't do. And look at these two things in contrast. Here's what it says. He says, don't do this. Don't have anger. Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Isn't this what it looks like when we get mad? The overflow of our anger is often anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. But instead, do this. Don't do this, but instead, it's not just don't do that. Listen, this is important. It's not just avoid the sin, it's pursue something better. Do this. Have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I just feel better? I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest, it's a question of Christian maturity. Do you love Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you surrendering your life to Jesus? If so, it doesn't mean you're, you're never gonna screw up. You certainly will, but it means at the heart, you are pursuing the ways of God's heart, the things of God's heart the attributes of God's heart. We need to show the world a different way. So let's get real practical. In the last few minutes we have, I've got a few ideas, okay? Looking at Colossians and saying, hey, how can we apply this to our lives? If we're trying to pursue some new habits in order to get rid of the anger and cynicism of life, how might we do that? It starts with pursuing humility. Now, Ben talked about this last week. I'm not going to go deep down this road, but we have to be people who humble ourselves and say, you know what? No longer is this world all about me and, and what I want and my desires. I'm going to try to get rid of my pride and I'm going to pursue humility. If you missed last week, make sure you go check it out. It's on the Internet. you got to start there, okay? And the second thing is we need to participate in patience. Don't react too quickly. You, you have to choose to do this. I know when I get mad, I snap. It's a quick response. But instead, we need to practice patience. There's so much power in just slowing down, taking a breath, and creating space between you and the tension. The Bible talks about this in the book of James. It says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You know what's funny about this verse to me? Like, this is the brother of Jesus talking. And when I look at my kids, uh, well, they get mad at each other all the time, right? Like, they are quick to yell at each other. One just looks at one the other way. What do you look at me that for? So James grew up with this Jesus guy who was evidently, like, perfect. Can you imagine how frustrating that was? Jesus would be doing something awesome. James would get mad and he'd be like, hey, I love you anyway, James. That's got to be frustrating. We need to practice patience because we can learn something from James, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. You know what I love is when the Bible and science like beautifully sync up together. And we see that in this principle. Be slow to speak, slow to be angry. And in some cases, what we need to do psychologically is step away for 10 to 15 seconds from whatever the situation is that is making us mad. And in that time, it allows our brain time to process, to cool off, and to allow an appropriate response. But like in a fit of rage, we're told that it could take up to 20 minutes for our brain really to cool down and chill out and allow us to respond in an appropriate way. So whether it's something happening internally, something that's happened to you, whatever it is that brings out the frustration, that brings out the anger, be slow to speak, quick to listen, Slow to react. you know, work it out some other way. Go, go work out or journal or find a trusted friend that you can vent to. But step away for a moment and give yourself space. When we take time and we're slow to become angry and, and slow to speak, it actually helps us to navigate the situation in a way that better honors God. And next, we got to practice forgiveness. Okay, this, this starts with the example of Jesus, just like all these things. Jesus says, you know what, in this moment where he is being crucified on a cross with people mocking him, people spitting at him, people abusing him, look at how he responds to those people. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Like, isn't that a beautiful example? When people wrong us or when I wrong myself, wherever it is that the anger and the frustration and the tension comes from, whether it's from them or from me. I need to remember the posture of Jesus, and that is a Jesus who is quick to offer forgiveness. The Bible has no shortage of passages that remind us how vital and important forgiveness is to Christian maturity, to a Christian walk, to somebody who says, I want to honor God with my life. Well, how do you do that? You forgive, even those that don't deserve it. If we're going to come to terms with how we beat down anger, Well, a big part of that is our willingness to forgive those who have wronged us, who have hurt us, and permission to forgive yourself, even when I don't deserve it, even when they don't deserve it. Otherwise, that that anger, it just swirls inside, and it simmers, and it festers, and it develops into something much deeper, and it creates a greater divide between you and them we got to be quick to forgive. And then we need a plan to talk it out. Give it time. Give it space. Choose in your mind that you are going to offer forgiveness no matter what, but then go talk about the thing that's bugging you. Maybe that means you need to go to counseling because you have something inside that is bringing anger, and you need somebody to talk to about it. Or maybe someone has done something that's made you angry. Go talk to them about it. The scripture says this, Says, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let this stuff simmer. If you're mad and it's a situation that you need to talk out, then don't miss the opportunity. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Otherwise, it simmers. Plan to talk it out. But only after you've humbled yourself, you've been patient. And you've already chosen to offer forgiveness no matter what. And then, lastly, let me encourage you proclaim God's love for you. Seriously, remember how much God loves you. Oftentimes, I screw up all the time. I think we all do. We realize that. We're sinners in a broken world, and every time I screw up, I, I start to wonder for a second, is God mad at me? Is he going to forgive me? Like, have I messed up so bad? God's got every right to be mad at me. He's got every right to be angry at me. He has every right to spew it out and yell at me. He's given me chance after chance after chance. He's forgiven me over and over and over again. He has every right And Paul, he deals with this himself, this struggle of like, man, I keep screwing up. And he says this, and it's such powerful words for us today. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Whenever I want to get mad at someone else, whenever I want to get mad at myself, It helps so much when I just pause and I remember that God has every right to not forgive me, every right to be frustrated and angry with me, but yet he still time and time again delivers me through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And if I am going to have the heart of Jesus, then I've got to be willing to offer that kind of love to other people. We can't let Anger win. We gotta let the love of God win. And that starts by putting into practice habits that will transform our hearts to look more like Jesus. So the overflow of it, in the overflow of it, the peace of Christ will be seen because the peace of Christ rules in your heart. Put it into Practice. Don't just avoid the sin, pursue the heart of God. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we're thankful for your love for us. God, help us today more than ever before in this moment to recognize how good you are. That you love us unconditionally. And God, may the reality of that grow roots deep into the inner beings of our heart and soul. And God, out of that, God, may we flourish and bear the kind of fruit that the overflow of your goodness within us can't help but bear the kind of fruit that everybody sees that pushes anger out of this world and instead expresses the love of you, Jesus. God, we're thankful for your love for us. We recognize that. We feel it. We sense it. God, help us to know it. And allow that seed to grow deep within our hearts so that the overflow of it, we may bless this world. God, don't let anger win in us, but instead allow your love to take over. We give you praise, the one who saves us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.